Good morning. I am always excited to be here at Oakcrest. Um, if you've heard me preach before or speak on some of the work that I'm a part of, you're probably used to me being here um, on Mission Sunday, which is normally in November. And I understand that daylight savings can be kind of confusing because you lose an hour, but just be rest assured today is not November. It is not Mission Sunday. You're in the right place. You're in the right spot. Um, however, um, when I am here, I'm typically sharing almost exclusively about the work that goes on at the Christian Service Center. Uh, and that's not the case today. Uh, but I'd be lying to you if I told you that I'm going to stand up here and talk just about uh, the things I've been asked to talk about. That wouldn't be my nature to do what you asked me to do. Um, and so I am going to honor the request to preach on Philippians 2. And I use pre- preach in the, um, the most insignific- insignificant way possible um, to tell you what I'm going to do today. But I'm, I'm going to do that. And I'm also going to share a little bit about of some of the things that have gone on at the service center. Because like I said, um, it's what I do. Um, and it's my primary connection uh, aside from Jesus Christ, um, but that's that's why I do what I do, and that's how I'm highly connected here uh, at Oakcrest. So um, this morning I have been commissioned with preaching on uh, Philippians two, um, and it's my understanding as a congregation you all are going working your way through the book of Philippians uh, in, the, in the month of March, and um, seeing as how today is the second Sunday of March, it makes sense that I would be uh, covering the second chapter. Um, But before I do that, before I jump into chapter 2, I think it'd be wise to kind of reflect on uh, chapter 1 a little bit to get a little more context. Maybe you weren't here, maybe you were here, um, and if everyone was in attendance last week that's here this week, this is more for me than it is for you, um, because I'm not sure what all was preached on last week. Um, But in chapter 1, what we'll see in Philippians is that Paul, when he's addressing he's doing so primarily addressing external conflicts. And what I mean by that is a lot of the things that, that Paul is encouraging um, the, the believers in Philippi about have to do with things that are from outside the body of believers. Uh, so, for instance, you have Paul talks about being in prison um, and how the whole palace guard is aware of why Paul is in prison, because he's a follower of Christ. Um, Paul's talking about forces, individuals, kingdoms, aside from the kingdom of God, that are opposed to the gospel message. Um, and he does this. Paul does this. He tells them, don't be intimidated by their enemies. Um, and he's talking about enemies, those who are p- opposed to the gospel, those who are opposed to Christ, or maybe even those who aren't directly opposed to the gospel, but they're just naturally opposed to Paul or people that are following Jesus and they're unfamiliar and it's a foreign uh, concept to them. Um, and then Philippi- Philippians 2, we transition to Paul addressing um, the Philippians or uh, the believers of the church in Philippi, and he's talking more, more about internal issues, internal turmoil, conflicts. Um, and it seems strange, right? Because they're Christians, right? They're, they're fellow, they're brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and so it's a foreign concept. I get like, we're in 2022. We're part of the church in 2022 in the United States of America. We don't have to deal with any internal conflicts, right? Like we totally... Have no idea what they're talking about. We agree 100% of the time. Politically, we're on track 100% of the time. We agree about scripture every single time. And so, you know, I mean, actually, now that I say that, I think we've pretty much got Philippians 2 under control, so I can just pack up and leave because we're, we're good here, right? Um, but that's what we're dealing with here in chapter 2 is internal conflicts within the body of Christ. 
And so this is heavy. Um, and so I'll begin, just like we read this morning. I'm going to reread uh, a portion of um, the beginning of chapter 2 to highlight it. And it says this. This is how, how Paul starts. Um, he says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. And then he goes on with a list of other things. Um, and what, what Paul is doing here in the beginning um, these are all rhetorical questions, right? Like all these things that Paul is talking about, do you have, um, let's see, he says, do you have any encouragement from being united with Christ? Well, of course they do. Of course they have encouragement from being united with Christ. He says, if you have any comfort from his love, from, from being in Jesus, if you have any fellowship with the spirit, the same spirit that Jesus has, the spirit of God, if you have any of those things, he knows the answer to those questions. The answer is yes. You do have those things. And so he's provoking them and reminding them of who they are, of whose they, who's they are. He's not addressing it initially with, okay, I heard there's a problem. Here's what all the problems are. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to do. The next person needs to do. He's saying, no, let's first set a foundation. We're all in this together. We're all of Jesus. We're all of Christ. And he's reminding them, kind of, kind of maybe a way I do my kids, right? Like, they ask for this, they ask for that, they want more of this, they want more of that. I'm like, you have an iPad. What else do you need, right? Like you're reminding them, you have it good. Your life is pretty dang good. And that he, Paul is reminding them of what's going on here. Um, and so what, as he goes down this list of things to remind them of, um, these are all things, these are all truths, these are all rea- realities. Um, that they've experienced in the past, that they're experiencing in the present, and that they will experience in the future in Christ. Um, As we get down to, um, let's see, verse 2, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Um, and, And next what Paul is doing is he's giving... He's giving a list of do's and don'ts, right? And I hesitate to to say that, but I want to kind of talk a little bit about that. Anyone that's grown up in church, anyone that's grown up around the the gospel, anyone that's grown up going to Bible class, to a Christian school, to, to many different opportunities to be around the Bible, we've all had teachers, parents, guardians, grandparents, Bible school teachers, all these different people who love us and who have our best interest at heart. But if they're not careful, if we are not careful, we create the Bible to be a list of things to do and things not to do, right? And to an unbeliever, that's very off-putting. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. But here's the reality. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, there are certain expectations we are to have for one another and for ourselves. And that's what Paul is doing here in in this second chapter of Philippians, is he's giving them essentially a list of things to do and not to do. Just very easy things that are clear identifiers of followers of Jesus. And so he says this, and I'm going to go through and read, just give you a list of things he says to do. He says, verses through or 2 through 4, Paul says, do be humble. Do think of others as better than yourselves. Do take in interest in others. Do have the same attitude of Jesus Christ. Do work hard to show the results of your salvation. Do obey God. Do agree wholeheartedly. Do love one another. 
And there are five or six others that he says, do these things. And then Paul gives a much shorter list of the don'ts. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Don't look to your own interests. And if you'll notice here, the list of do's, like I said, are much longer than the list of don'ts. What's interesting about the list of don'ts is they have very little to do with our own personal individual um, growth, so to speak. They have primarily to do with our relationship with others, how we interact with others, how we treat others, how we speak to others, how we act towards others. Less to do about us, more to do about others are the don'ts. Um, And then we get to uh, verses 6 through 11. And these are, again, if you grew up in the church, or even if you didn't this morning, if you're not familiar with the scripture that we're reading this morning, this portion of scripture is some of the most concise, to-the-point verses that you will read in the New Testament that basically consolidate the gospel. And this is, I mean, this is very powerful stuff here. Um, And naturally, uh, whenever um, Scott... Bulmer asked me to preach, and he was saying, you know, each week represents a chapter, so week one is chapter one, week, week two is chapter two, and I was like, well, chapter two would be really easy. Like, the verses in that chapter are, like, very profound, very powerful, but I kind of felt like that was cheating a little bit, um, and it, but it did work to my advantage that I ended up with um, chapter two, and so now I know, like, I'm good buddies with Brian Plum, who I know many of you know, he's coming here on week four. And when he heard that we were doing Philippians, he was like, oh, I would love to be there for week two. It's chapter two, you know, like the scriptures in that are so powerful. And so here I am with chapter two and like I'm doing the most like I'm not doing it uh, intentionally to be like disrespectful to Brian or anyone else that wanted chapter two. But I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on these verses this morning because plenty of better teachers and preachers and speakers have done that. So you just need to go look those up because um, but that's not to discredit this portion of scripture because we are going to read through it because it is powerful. Um, but I want to spend it most of my time this morning on the following verses. Um, and so it says this, it says your attitude should be that of, of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God, something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of his servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the gospel right here. This is, if you have an unbeliever, if you have a believer who needs encouragement to be reminded of the goodness of God, in the form of Jesus Christ, this is it. You point him to this, you bring him to the scriptures, and you show them this. <clears throat> what I would like to do this morning is I would like to move uh, to verses 12 and 13, and I'm going to spend most of my time there. It says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. This portion of scripture to me, maybe not equally as impactful as the previous verses, but practically as a Christian, these two verses to me are incredibly significant. And here's why. 
what Paul gives the, the Philippian believers here are expectations. I'm not going to go as far to say commands. They are expectations that the believers in Philippi are to have if they are going to represent Jesus, the name of Jesus Christ, in a way that honors him and reflects who Jesus is. Um, the two portions or the two primary things I want to focus on um, from verse 12 are obedience and working out our salvation. What do those two things mean? What does that look like as a follower of Jesus? And this morning, as we talk about obedience and working out our salvation, almost as important as about what I'm about to say is what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is that if you are a Christian, if you don't do these things, it makes you less Christian. I'm not saying that. I am not saying that if you don't do those things, that it compromises your salvation. I'm not saying that either. What I am saying is as a believer in your relationships with other believers and even non-believers, it is way more convincing as a witness to the gospel if you possess these two things, obedience and you have tangible, practical ways that you work out your salvation. It makes the gospel a lot more convincing Again, to believers and non-believers, whenever you act and you display the certain things that we're going to talk about this morning, doesn't compromise your salvation if you don't, doesn't change the fact that Jesus died on the cross, doesn't change the fact that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus still covers your sins. It doesn't do that. But here's what it does do. Like I said, it makes your testimony stronger, and it makes it more it makes it more convincing to people whenever you say and you do the same things and you're consistent in your behavior with what you claim that you believe in the gospel. <clears throat> As we wrestle with these two questions this morning, why obedience, what does that look like, and working out our salvation, why do we do that, how do we do that, what does that look like? I think the two best ways to process that are through Scripture, the living Word of God, and through the life of Jesus, who the Scriptures tell us is the word of God. The first directive we will look through the lens of scripture in the life of Jesus um, that Paul instructs the Christians is obedience. If we roll back to verse eight, we read, it says, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. When we read that Jesus became obedient to death, that's not to suggest that death had any power over Jesus. It had no power over Jesus. But what it is saying is that God, or that Jesus in his obedience, he chose the path that God laid before him, and that was through the cross. And it's interesting that Paul instructs the Philippian believers to obedience, which is the same thing that Jesus displayed in his relationship with God. Paul is directing the Philippian believers to become and to look more like Jesus. He says it's obedience, but really what that means is be more like Christ. Obedience is just a very deliberate term that he uses to point them to Jesus. Um, as Christians, obedience comes really easy sometimes, right? No, you're up. Oh. <laughs> you actually beat me to it because obedience comes really hard, actually. You just ruined it for me. Thanks a lot. You're grounded. Um, obedience can look, let me back up, Sutton. Thank you. So, obedience can look very easy. As a believer, sharing food, sharing clothes, um, sharing an extra blanket we have. Those are easy things that are, that's obedient. You know, scriptures talk about taking care of those that are hungry, that are 
um, that are not housed, the orphan, the widow. Those are easy things to do at times. Um, sometimes obedience looks like loving, honoring, and respecting someone that we disagree with politically, right? Um, sometimes obedience as Christians is easy. Praying for our church leaders, praying for our fellow Christians, praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ, praying for our physical family. Um, sometimes obedience is really difficult when we're called to love the homeless man or the homeless woman that's high, they're on drugs, they're strung out. Um, it's easier just to say, get a job, right? It's hard to be obedient, figuring out what we do in those circumstances. More times than not, obedience is a difficult task. Obedience means surrendering our will, surrendering our preferences, and surrendering our desires to God's desires. Isn't that the aim of our, of our lives, though? God's will, not ours. The second directive uh, that we'll look through the lens of Scripture and the life of Jesus that Paul instructs the Christians is to work out our salvation. Um, and first, I think it's, um, it's helpful to verbalize that salvation is not something that we work for, right? Um, it's a free gift of God that receive, is received by faith in Jesus Christ, by the finished work on the cross. I think salvation at times, we think that in theory, salvation is God's, but we think, well, God does like 75 to 85% of the work, and then I need to do this little portion over here, fill in the gaps, you know, that 25, 15%, and then salvation, you know, I feel good about where I'm at with my salvation, right? And that's not how it works. Salvation is God's. Salvation is a free gift of God through the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus accomplished 100% took on the entire punishment of the sins of the world, past, present, and future generations. There is nothing we as humans can do to add to or to take away from the salvation that comes through Jesus. Um, and to simplify or to, to make that a point that I'm trying to make, um, and this is not an original thought or statement, but I, I think it's very helpful. You may have heard it before, and it says this. It says, you don't work for salvation it works for you. We don't work for our salvation. It works for us. Um, and I get why this portion of scripture kind of, it seems conflicting, right? It's, we don't, I'm telling you we don't work for our salvation. And then it's, scripture is telling us work, for, work out your salvation. Um, and so I understand where that misunderstanding could come from. But when Paul tells the believers they need to work out their salvation, he's explaining to them, the, the gift that they have received is inside of them. And my understanding is that we bring out these beautiful attributes and characteristics of Jesus by faith. The way that we work out our salvation is by faith. Faith is a rest because it's confident in God and not in our, our acts or our us. Faith is a rest, but it is a faith that works, not us. The faith does the work. So what we're doing is we're working out what is inside of us by faith. Um, the next point I'd like to make uh, to gain a better understanding of what it means to work out our salvation is this. We must possess salvation before we can, before we can work it out. And if we're going to possess something, we, we need to know what it is that we're possessing. But here's the definition, or here's the problem with defining salvation. It's Again, you read through Scripture, salvation in the Old Testament is, is talked about maybe indirectly, directly. New Testament is filled with saving acts of grace, saving acts of salvation, all these different things about Jesus. And so 
I can't stand up here today and give you a very direct, completely exhaustive definition of salvation. Um, But here's what I can tell you about salvation. Salvation refers to Jesus rescuing us from Satan's grasp. Um, Salvation is a particular event that took place in a particular time at the very moment Jesus died on the cross. Salvation is an act of God offering us forgiveness and bringing us into his kingdom, into right relationship with him. Salvation has to do with God adopting us as sons and daughters through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And there are countless implications of what salvation means or what it results in. But as a Christian, the one inescapable absolute truth about salvation is that we have obtained salvation through Jesus. Um, So if this is what salvation is or what salvation looks like, how do we work out salvation? I keep talking about it, but what does this mean? Um, There's a German theologian, Johannes Mueller, who says this about salvation. He says he, or Christians, says he must work out what God in his grace has worked in. I'm going to say that again. He, us, the Philippian believers, must work out our salvation, what God in his grace has worked in. What Mueller means is that what is done on the cross by the plan and design of God is now who we are as followers of Jesus. It is who we are by the spirit of God. And now we must act outwardly as that reflects an inner gratitude that we have and are now experiencing. Our working out is an expression of gratitude and joy for what God has already done. This morning I told you I would be hard pressed um, to talk about or to preach or to, to speak on Philippians 2 without mentioning the Christian Service Center about without alluding to that. Um, and so I'm a man of my word. I'm going to show you all a quick four minute video um, that was recently put together for us just to communicate kind of some of the vision of what we do and how we do it. And um, so we're going to watch that and then I'm going to close out this morning. My name is Luke Whitmire. I am the director at the Christian Service Center, and our mission is to share the love of Jesus Christ through service to the community, in relationship with our neighbor, and in prayer with one another. This is each day. The most persistent choice you face is whether you trust in me or to worry. You will never run out of things to worry about, but you can choose to trust me no matter what. I am an ever-present help in trouble. Trust me, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Here at the Christian Service Center, we're a faith-based nonprofit, and what that means is all of the work that gets done here is done by way of volunteers. One of the biggest needs or deficiencies that, in my short time here, that I've I've observed, is that we have we have plenty of hands, we have plenty of feet, we have pe- plenty of people at this point that want to help and serve and do physical things. Um, but what we need is people that come with their own faith, um, so that they can be an encouragement to those that they serve with and those that they're serving. Um, while we do want to meet physical needs, um, because that is important, more than anything we want people to know who Jesus is. And the more people that we have that come with their faith, they can share about their own experiences and, and their faith journey, and as a result of that, it just grows um, the ministry and the presence of God in this place. Father God, that we pray that 
We want to be like you every day. We want to strive to be like you every day. We want to be the hands and feet of you, Father God, that everybody that comes into this door and get their needs met. And they get blessed coming and going. And all of us volunteer, and especially Luke, I just ask you to just keep everybody warm and have them a, have them a hot meal. And, and just let us be there, like put people in our hearts that we really need to be there for. My favorite part about uh, the Christian Service Center is the people, uh, that's easy, uh, but then more specifically is the relationships that come from meeting the people. I know that my, uh, my personal faith has been shaped more in my time here at the Christian Service Center than years and years of um, whether it be studying or education or uh, seeing or reading things, um, having just very practical conversations with people and learning about their struggles and then also learning about their faith um, has challenged me and it's also shaped my faith in ways, uh, just really powerful ways that again otherwise I would not have the opportunity to do. So seeing people, hearing their stories and um, just seeing the way that God works through their lives has been um, very beneficial for me individually. As a part of our mission statement, uh, we talk about sharing the love of Jesus through service, through relationship, and through prayer. And those are, our, those are the core things that we do. We show up and we serve, um, we show up and we partner through relationship, and we show up and we pray. When I first started here a year ago, I started here to work for God, and I came here with that concept. And that's what I did. And over the year, now I get to serve God. I get to do this. Towards the end of that video, towards the end of that video, there's a there's a lady named Debbie, and <clears throat> Debbie is the one sharing. She's actually a volunteer of ours, and Debbie called just cold called me the very end of 2020. And um, she was just looking for an opportunity to serve. I didn't know Debbie. I'd never met her. Um, and she just explained to me on the phone. She said, I'm a new believer. I'm a new Christian. And I want to <clears throat> come serve. And so I said, I said, yeah, we'll put you to work. <laughs> Show up. We got plenty of things for you to do. Uh, I told her just like I told anyone else. You know, a lot of the people that call... I talked to a lot of people on the phone that I don't know personally, and they, you know, they want opportunities to serve. And so I give them, I give everyone a fair shake. You tell them the days, the times to come, and half the people don't show up, which is fine. And then the other half do, and they'll stay for a couple days. Or, you know, it's if you've not been to the service center before, it can be a little bit intimidating sometimes. I mean, you're thrown to the wolves in there. You got to be ready. And um, but Debbie showed up that first day that we were open, 2021. She showed up. She was probably there before I was. 
Um, and she's been serving ever since. And she, like, like I told you, she has, she's a new believer. She's new to Christ. Um, she's actually married to a man that's uh, from the Middle East and is Muslim. And um, she's got a story, man. She has, she's got a story. Um, but Debbie's been serving for literally every single day we've been open since that first day in 2021. And did you hear what she said in the video? She said this. <clears throat> she said, when I first started here a year ago, I started here to work for God. I came here with that concept and that's what I did. And over the, over the year, I learned I get to serve God. I get to do this. Debbie came to serve. It was her duty, she thought. She needed to serve. She needed to work. Now, now though, she says, I get to serve. Her entire mentality has changed. And she's right. We get to serve. We get to do this work alongside other Christians in this thing we call life. To love, to honor others, to point people to Jesus. It's an honor to serve. It's a privilege to serve as a follower of Jesus. Serving and loving others, this is one way of what it looks like to work out our salvation. This morning, if you are in Christ, if you've given your life to Jesus, my encouragement to you is to be obedient to the, God, the call that God has placed on your life and to learn very practical ways for what it looks like to work out your salvation. If you're not a Christian, if you've not committed your life to Christ, if you've not been baptized, today you have an opportunity to do so. Come to Jesus, accept him as your Savior, and be baptized. Work out your salvation.